going on, Adore Church? Thank you so much for being here. If, you, if I've never met you before, if I've never seen you, if you're watching this video for the first time, or you're listening on podcasts for the first time, my name is Pastor James. I'm the pastor. Thrilled that you're here, man. We just had an incredible weekend together of hanging out and worshiping God together and hearing a, a message that challenged us. I'm going to get into the message here in a minute, but we loved seeing everybody again for the first time in 2021. So we get to do it again a couple weeks from now, February 7th. We're meeting in person again at the theater. Listen, we can't do it every week right now because we have to rent out the biggest theater that they have to fit inside for socially distancing and wearing masks and sanitizing all that. So there's a lot that goes into it. So we can't meet every week right now, but we're trying to get to that position. We're trying to do the best we can. Hopefully the regulations uh, drop off and we can do that. But we had an incredible talk this week and an important talk. And we talked about grace. Grace. And what is grace? Grace is the unmerited, undeserved goodness or kindness of God. That's what the definition of grace is. It's the unmerited, undeserved kindness and goodness of God. And we talked about what that means and what that looks like. And what predicated that conversation was a conversation I had with a local pastor. We were talking about church and, and what, how their church is going. And, and I asked him a question. I said, what do you feel like the church is preaching to people right now? Like, what do you feel like, you know, the church is telling people to do? Or even culturally, what is the real push for people? And he said, it's very simple. He said, right now we're telling people to be good. And we're teaching people that being good is good enough. That we should be good neighbors. That we should be good to people. That goodness is what we're after. That doing good things and posting good things and 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 pushing what we believe is good on people is good. And we started talking about this for a while. And it really struck home to me because it really doesn't line up with the Bible. Now you might be like, wait, what are you talking about? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Like we should be good. To, we should be good to people. We should do good things. But the problem with just telling people to be good is good becomes very relative very fast, right? The definition of what being good looks like can change very quickly. I'll give you two, two cases in point. Right now you have our country and we can't say anything other than it's divided, right? It's never been more divided than we all know that. An elephant in the room. I'm not telling you something you don't know. But I'm going to tell you right now, if I, if I went to the halls of Washington, D.C., or if I went to a Starbucks, here, and it was open, you could sit down, man, I long for those days again, but, and I took somebody from the Democrat side, and somebody from the Republican side, I'm not trying to get political, but I'm making a point, the person on the left would say, this is what good looks like, this is the way good is going to happen, these are the policies, these are the procedures, this is the good things that we can do to help people, right, they would say that, they're passionate about it, they're crazy about it, and I could take somebody from the Republican side, from the right side, and I can say, they would say, this is what good looks like for the country. This is what good is. This is the good things we should be doing for people. And you know what? Both of them would believe it to the core of their beings. And both of them would push it to the core of their beings. And I ask you a question. Pull your, I don't care if you're in this side or that side. It doesn't matter to me. Can you pull yourself out and say, yeah, that's good. Or that's good. You see, good is relative to each side. What good looks like is relative to each side. So the only really way we can get to the idea of what good is, is to have something above those two, right? We have to have something above that. We have to have something that is just this, wait, this is good. I don't care what you believe or what you want or the aisle side of the aisle you're on, but this is what good looks like. I'll give you another case in point. 
maybe it'll drive you home why we need something above just being good. We all think kids are beautiful. Kids are wonderful. I have an eight-year-old daughter. She's amazing. It's beautiful. We, we would never, culturally, myself, we would say, you can't kill her. To kill her would be awful. We think killing innocent kids is terrible, right? Across the country, we would unanimously say, you just can't kill kids. That is just wrong. You are an evil person if you are killing kids. We would all say that's not good. But I would also say, if you grew up in the Mayan civilization, you would think the exact opposite. You see, they thought killing kids was good. In fact, they killed like 20 to 25,000 kids a year that were four, five, six, seven years, eight years old. And they did it to appease the gods. It was good for them to do it because they believed that it gave good crops. They believed it gave good health. They believed it gave prosperity and blessings and favor from the gods. So everything in them was saying, this is good. So they're saying, this is good. And we're like, what? Y'all are crazy. You cannot kill two and three and four-year-olds. That's absurdity. That is evil. See, this is the problem with good. And this is the problem with our society that we struggle with. It's called relative truth. We have become a society that what I think is good is good. Well, why do you think it's good? Well, that's what I believe. Well, what I believe then is, is, is my religion. It's my God. And so I am my own God. And so relative truth becomes this all-encompassing thing where I can make any decision I want. You can't say anything about it because it's my truth. Step back. This is my truth. I'm doing good. Wait, your good is hurting my good. Well, no, it's not. It doesn't matter because this is my good. So shut your mouth. So see, what we have in this culture is a bunch of people now telling people to go do good, but that's all pervasive of relative to what they believe good is. And it's a mess. That's why in this church, when you hear me speak, I'm going to tell you there's only good in one person, and that's Christ. The definition, excuse me, the definition of what it looks like to be good is Jesus Christ. So when I look at myself and I say, what does good look like? I don't look at it based on what social media is telling me, what politics is telling me, what culture is telling me, what the world is telling me. I look at God's word and I say, what does Jesus say is good? At this church, we will preach Jesus and Jesus only. The Bible says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. So we will preach truth. And that truth is Jesus because that truth supersedes my goodness. That truth teaches me what goodness looks like. And as long as I have that, I can say, you know what? This is not my opinion. I don't live my life according to my codes. I don't live my life according to my truth. I live my life according to the truth, the truth of God's word. And too many churches and too many Christians and too many people now are doing whatever they feel like doing relative to truth, relative to this, relative to that. There is no truth other than Jesus Christ. And that's where grace comes in. And that's where this, 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 this hammering together of good versus grace goes on all the time in religion. Because religion boils everything down to, can you be good? Are you good enough? Did you do enough? Did you earn it? Did you do enough things to earn God's love? And grace says, no. Grace says it doesn't matter what you do. It matters what he did. In fact, listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
not by works so that you cannot boast. I'm going to read it again a little bit faster. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that you cannot boast. And what it's saying is, look, you didn't deserve it. You did nothing to deserve God's love. You did nothing to deserve to be saved. There was nothing you could bring to God and say, God, look at me. I'm awesome. Enough for God to say, you're in. You were saved by grace through faith. Jesus died for you while you were yet a sinner, the Bible says. Jesus didn't look at you and say, James, you're good enough for me to die for. No. He said, James, you're a person that I created. Therefore, you're good enough for me to die for. It has nothing to do with how much I have done. Because what it takes away from me is the ability to go to God and say, look at me, bro. I'm awesome, bro. Look at God. Look at what I have done. Look at all the stuff I have done. Look at all the posts I have. Look at all the businesses I have. Look at all the good I have done. Look at all this. Look at all. Look, look, look. I am awesome. It eliminates all of that. So it eliminates every person from being in a rat race to do enough to earn God's love. It puts everyone in the same playing field. The rich, the poor, the good, the bad, the ugly, the pretty, the whatever. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us need grace. And Jesus does this amazing thing with grace. He says, look, you are saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not because of what you did as a person. Not because of the way you earn it or anything along those lines. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 6. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. God, that's beautiful. If by grace, it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. In other words, good works and grace don't go together. They don't equal out. Now listen to me. Should you have good works? Yes. Should you do things? Yes. We teach that at this church all the time. The Bible says you'll know by your fruit what's coming out of your life. Should be good works. Should be the goodness of God. Should be loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving your God with all your heart. With all. all those things are good. But those do not get you saved. You are saved by grace. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are valued. You believed in. You are saved by grace. God's unmerited kindness, goodness that you didn't deserve, you'll never deserve, you'll never do enough to get it, but Jesus loves you that much. Knowing that though, when you receive that gift of grace, when you receive Christ into your life and you say, God, I know I'm not worthy of your grace. I know I'm not worthy of your love. I know I'm a messed up sinner. I know I'm not a good person. I'm not a good person. But be, in spite of that, I know you love me and you die for me. And I accept you as my Savior. I accept you as my Lord. I accept you as my God. Once you do that, now that is followed by good work. Now that I'm in relationship with God, now that I love God, now I begin to walk out what it looks like to be a Christian, and that is good works. Now I start to love people and take care of people and love and show God's love and mercy to people and all those things. But I'm telling you, don't flip the script. Religion flips the script. Religion says, do this and you will be saved. Go to church this much times. Read 72 things. Do this. Do that. You know, have all these things. Traditions, laws. Ah, do all of it. Then God will love you. It's the exact opposite. We got to get tipped back to teaching people that God loves them. That God's grace is sufficient. That God loves them right 
where they are, not by what they've done, not to go out into the culture and do enough to earn God's love. We have to teach people. It starts with Jesus and Jesus alone, and I want you to know that. Listen to this story so you understand a little bit better. This is in John chapter 5, and this is a story of Jesus. And I want to preach Jesus because that's what we do here. I don't want to give you my opinion or my thoughts because they're worthless. Jesus is the one you need to listen to. John chapter 5, verse 1. Soon another feast came, and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool in Hebrew called Bethsaida with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in those alcoves. One man had been there for 38 years. 38 years. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, do you want to get well? Now, a couple of things if you've never read this passage before. So there was a tradition at this pool that every once in a while an angel would come down and stir up the waters. And so there was pools. And when an angel would come down and stir up the water, the water would start swirling or some kind of, uh, like, a, like a tidal wave was happening, like a, you know, an old school uh, whirlpool was happening. The, the water would come up and the first person to jump into the water would be healed. Only the first person, one at a time. And so hundreds of sick people descended on this place and sat there and waited for the water. And once the water went, the first person in would get healed. Crazy, crazy thing. A couple things I want you to see real fast though. One, Jesus walked right into this place. Blind, crippled, paralyzed, hurting, broken, the lowest quote-unquote members of society, the messed up, the, the, the oppressed, the, 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 the left for nothing, the looked down upons. Jesus was right at home with them. He didn't avoid them. He didn't walk around the pools to go where he's going. He said, you know what? What's, I'm going to go right here. These are people that are hurting. These are people that, 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 that have been through a lot. I'm not shying away from them. May we always be a church like that. May a door church always be a place where people walk into and there's hundreds of cripples and blinds and paralyzed and hurting people, not just physically. My prayer is that when we walk into the church, there's people that are sitting in adultery. There's people that are dealing with porn addictions and alcohol addictions. There's people that have been abused in life. There's people that have, that have been divorced. There's, there, there's teenagers that are struggling with identity issues and identity problems. There's people, teenagers struggle with opioids. There's people that are going through suicidal thoughts. I pray that our church is filled with those people. Not because I want bad people in my church or I want that, to, that stigma or whatever. You know why I want that? Because I want people to meet Jesus. I want people to see this waters getting stirred in service and seeing the power of God and helping them change their lives. We never want to be a church full of perfect people because there is no such thing as perfect people. That is our heart and our cry for our church is that we'll be filled with broken, messed up people that are in need of a savior, in need of what? God's grace. God's grace. I love this picture. He said to the man, do you want to get well? I just said, what? What kind of a question is that? Dude has been there for 38 years. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? You see, I love this question because it's easy for us. It's easy for us, especially now, to begin to question things, right? Maybe you've been going through hell itself for the last year, right? 
the COVID pandemic. Maybe it has hit you so hard that for a year you have been questioning your faith, you've been questioning your wallets, you've been questioning your kids, you are just done, you're exhausted, you're tired. Can I say I'm right there with you? Man, January 2021 has been brutal. Something about changing the new year, and your new year is usually filled with hope and expectancy and just like we're still in a pandemic. The restrictions are getting worse here in Massachusetts and I'm just like, ugh, the depression is brutal. And sometimes people get so used to living in a certain way, get so used to living with the hurt and pain, get so used to being, that's just a part of who I am. Disappointments, discouragements, I'm, I'm an abuse victim, I, I've been divorced, I'm a divorcee, I, I have an addiction, and you know what, it's just who I am, whatever. I, it's just, it's my lot in life. I'm just going to have to deal with it. And so Jesus asked him a question in faith. And he's like, do you want to get well? And I, know I just want to remind you today, this morning, wherever you find this message, ask yourself that. I feel like Jesus is always asking ourselves that. Do you, do you want to get well? Don't give up. Stay in the fight. Believe in God. Believe in miracles. Believe that God loves you. Believe that God cares about you. Believe that some way, somehow, God can turn it around for good. You got to keep believing that. Do you want to get well? The sick man in verse 7 says, Sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. He's like, dude, of course I want to get well. I've been here for 38 years. Every time it gets stirred up, though, I can't get in the pool. What's he saying? He's saying, I need help. I need somebody to do this for me. I can't do this by myself. Every time the water gets stirred, I can't get in there. And so, and so it's easy for him to start saying, you know, I, I need something. I got an excuse of why I can't get in there. There's a reason this happened. Don't, don't you understand why I'm here? Don't you understand the struggle that I have here, Jesus? Don't you get all this stuff? It's not for a lack of trying. I can't do it. And maybe that's you. I know I've had that prayer with Jesus so many times in my life. Look, Jesus, it's not for a lack of trying. I, I wish... I could do fill in the blank. I don't want to be like this. I don't, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to have to go through this. I, I don't want this anymore. Of course I want to be healed. I want to fix my finances. I want, I want to see my healing. I want, to, I want to beat this addiction. I want to beat all this stuff. Of course. But I can't. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus does not look back at the man and say, okay, here's the four things I want you to do. And that'll help you. I want you to go home and read the Torah this whole week. And then I'll help you. I want you to, to, to the next few days, go home and do good for people. Right? Hey, look, how much good have you done in the last week? Tell me what you've been doing. Tell me what you've been doing in your life. Tell me the good things. Have you, do you, do you deserve my love? Do you, do, have you done enough? Have you tried enough? Did you really crawl hard enough to that water to get in? Did you yell loud enough for somebody to get you? Did you make a poster board that says, please put me in the water? Did you make, go out and make some money and beg and say, listen, I'll pay you $100 to throw me in the water? Did you do enough? Let's sit down and have a conversation about what good you brought to the table, right? Did you listen to that message by that guy at church and said, look, have you posted 27 times on social media? Have you done enough on social media about goodness? Have you, have you fought enough social justice things on social media that you feel like you've now reached the point where 
I can say I'm a good person. Can I tell you, Jesus does none of that. None of it. The next line, after he says, somebody else already is in there. Jesus says, get up, take your bedroll, start walking. That's grace. That's grace. That's grace. It wasn't about the good this man had done or not done. It wasn't about anything this man had done to deserve it. It wasn't about this guy's good enough to do it. It was about Jesus saw somebody hurting, lost, broken. And he looked at the man and said, do you want to get well? He said, yes. Jesus said, let's go. Grace, undeserved, unmerited kindness, goodness of God had nothing to do with what man had done for goodness. Grace has nothing to do with what you have done. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for you and the power of his word and the power of his name moving in your life when you open up to it and you say, God, yes, I want to be healed. I want your presence. I want your love. I want your mercy. Jesus says, here it is. Take up your bed bowl and walk. And the man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked. This is grace. This is God's grace. This is the love and the mercy of grace of God shown to you right in front of it. And I love it. Fires me up because I don't want to be a place where people walk into as a church or I don't want you to ever think that you have to do enough to earn God's love. I hate that concept because that is not God. That is religion. Religion is saying do these 17 things and you will qualify for God's grace. That is nowhere in your Bible. God's love is undeserved, it is unmerited, it is kindness, it is goodness, it is simply his love for you because you are his creation and he loves you. But the world can't handle that. People struggle with that. The next verse, the day it happened was the Sabbath. And the Jews stopped the healed man and said, it's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the Rules. Ugh. I hate these people. I, hate's a bad word. I teach my kids not to say hate. <clears throat> and I shouldn't say I hate. I, I very much despise these people. This dude, 38 years had been bedridden. 38 years was paralyzed. 38 years was not healed. Jesus comes. He's healed. Jesus actually says, take up your bedroll. He's like, take everything you got and walk away. And these guys, I want to call them something else, but these people don't look at the healing, don't look at the changed life. They look at a person breaking a rule. You're not doing good. And they disqualify him from being good enough. They say, wait, you're walking around with a bedroll. You're not supposed to be doing that on the Sabbath. It's against the rules. I don't care about rules. This guy was just healed by Jesus. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what your family looks like. I don't care. You walk into my church. You walk into my life. I am going to preach Jesus to you. And I believe Jesus is going to touch you. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care how much money you make. He doesn't care what you've been through. He doesn't care what you've done to somebody else. He doesn't care what's been done to you. Those things you've got to process, yes. As a, as, as a Christian, you have to walk through some of the hurts and pains in your life. Yes, completely. But Jesus loves you. When you walk into this church, when you're around us as a church, I want people to know that we love you. I'm not going to ask questions about what you've been. 
You're not, you're, oh my gosh, you don't look good enough to walk into church. You're not wearing the proper attire in church. My kids wear shorts and t-shirts to church and hats. I don't care what they look like. Do they love Jesus? Does Jesus love them? Yes. Then you carry that bed roll wherever you want. That's what they just said. Wait, did Jesus heal you? Yes. Great. You carry that bed roll wherever you go. Put a chain on that bed roll and wear it around your neck. I don't care. Jesus loves you. Jesus touched you. Let's celebrate with you. But religion doesn't celebrate grace. Religion only celebrates good works. That is not Jesus. Jesus celebrates grace. And through grace, we will see good works. Watch. The man told him, verse 11, the man who made me well told me, he said, take your bedroll and start walking. And they asked, who gave you the order to take it up and start walking? But the healed man didn't know, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. I'm going to end here in a couple minutes. i got, I got to end up because I'm talking way too long. But he says this. He told the guy to take his bedroll. What does that mean? What it means is the bedroll is his story. The bedroll represents 38 years of him laying down. Jesus didn't say burn it, didn't get rid of it. He said that part of your life is a story. And what is that story? It's grace. What is that story of? The story is of God's grace. That God saw me when I was broken, I was messed up, and he healed me. That's what it means to be a Christian life. Grace followed by good works. And what are those good works? It's that man walking around the rest of his life with his bedroll, people asking him about his bedroll, him telling the story that he was broken, he was messed up, and God loved him. And then him looking at every person broken, messed up, and saying, God loves you. That's good works. You want to do good works? Tell people the story of how God saved you. Show God's love and mercy and grace to people every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's good works. Be a good mother. Be a good father. Be a good brother. Be a good sister. Be a good worker. Be a good friend. Why? Because the grace of God is in you and comes out of you that way. A little later, Jesus found him in the temple and said, You look wonderful! You're well! Don't return to a sinning life or something worse might happen. Jesus said, Look, this is grace. I gave you my grace. You're good. Now go be good. Go do good for others. Not because you're earning my love. No, you already have my love. But go do good because you have my love and because you felt me and seen my presence and seen what I could do for you. Now go do good. Go be good. And that good is based on my love and my mercy and my grace. Ephesians 2 says this. Now God has us right where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving us is all his idea and his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it, to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No. We neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in a work he does. The good work 
he has gotten ready for us to do work we had better get to doing. That is from the Message Bible, Ephesians 2, 8-10. through 10. We're going to post it on our social media. That verse is our walking papers. That verse answers the question that people are preaching around here all the time, which is, be good. It is not just be good. It is accept the grace of God in your life, that God loves you. Accept God's grace, and then through God's grace, you can be good. That gives us the ability to not set the standard of what good looks like, to not say this is what good looks like, and this is what good looks like, and we argue about what good looks like. We say to ourselves, you know what good looks like? Jesus. You know what good sounds like? Jesus. How do I know? Because the amazing grace of God found me. One, that, that song we sang at church yesterday, old hymn, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That is the life in Jesus. And because of that amazing grace, then I was lost. Now I'm found. But I was blind and I could see. That amazing grace gives me the ability then to go out into the world and do good for people. Not because I'm good, but because He is good. And at our church, we want that to be the heart's cry of our people, of our church, is to say it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus yesterday, Jesus today, Jesus tomorrow, Jesus forever. You are saved by grace. And maybe you've never understood that fully. Maybe you've never made that choice. Maybe you you made that choice a long time ago. Maybe you're kind of in the middle. I want to give you an opportunity before we get off here today to make that choice. And it's a simple free gift from God. It's simply opening up your heart and saying, God, I realize I'm not good. I try to do good, but nothing that I do can earn your love and your mercy and your grace. And I just want to ask you right now to give me your grace. I ask you to be my God, my Lord, and my Savior. Say this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I accept the free gift of salvation into my heart. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm messed up. And I'm in need of a Savior. And I thank you that you died for me that you gave up your life for me, that you rose from the dead for me. And I accept your grace. I accept your mercy in my life. And I tick up my bedroll. And now I go out into the world and I do good based on your love and your mercy and your grace. If you said that prayer today, you are now a child of God. God loves you. You are just like the crippled man. Now he says, now don't go back to that life. Live a life for Jesus. Begin to become a disciple of Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to start doing that. I'm going to start preaching on Wednesday nights. We're going to start preaching on Sunday. What it looks like to walk out to be a Christian and live this life. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, if you want to give, you can give online at doorchurch.com if you want to financially give to that. But we love you. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you so much for what's going on in your life. Thank you so much for any prayer requests you have. DM us. Let us know if we need anything. If you need anything, we'll pray for you always. Remember, February 7th, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for being here. Have a good day.